Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. We don't go to people and say, in response to their question, well, how do I get to heaven? Well, you have to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you your sins. You have to believe it. You have to follow him. And by the way, you have to join Calvary Chapel or you have to join the Catholic Church. Or do you eat meat? No, only vegans can become believers. There's a million things out there that people will add to it. Coffee? You take caffeine? Yeah, in fact, I take that little sucker that's got five hours of whatever. No chance you're going to heaven. And so we add all these things which have nothing to do It's simply the grace of God. Mankind wants so badly to be a partner in our redemption. We make up rules about what God is like and what he or she expects. Many times the God we create is frighteningly similar to what we believe the ultimate man is like. And every attempt falls short. We have this nagging sense that there's something more we're missing. Pastor Mark is teaching that we're correct in this sense. There is something more, and his name is Jesus. He did what we couldn't do, live life perfectly without flaw, and then offered his perfect life to pay the penalty for all of our shortcomings. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in Philippians chapter 3 with part 2 of his message, Free Signs of a True Believer. Paul says, I really never get tired of warning you about false teaching because that's always happening. Satan never stops trying to confuse people about how to be forgiven. He says, Satan is always trying to confuse the answer to that simple question. What must I do to get eternal life? What must I do to get to heaven? He says, Satan loves to confuse it and he confuses it with false teaching. So here we are 2000 years later. What are some of the pluses that we could add? I'll talk a little more about the Jews in a moment, but what are some of the pluses we can add? Some of you remember them. In the Protestant churches early on, you might have been raised in one of these. If you went to church and you said you were born again, then you wanted to become a member of the church. And of course, then they handed you, depending on your church, a little card. It was a membership card. And they wanted you to sign it. The problem was on the back of it, was a million lists of don'ts. Anybody remember those cards? Well, now that you're a Christian, well, that's good, but that's not quite good enough. No dancing, no drinking, don't play any music, no Roku's. Well, no, not a Roku, that's too updated. (laughs) But it was all these things that made you what? Right with God. So the Protestants, we had a million things. Must take communion, must be to church, must do this sing in the choir, make food for the buffet, whatever. How about you Catholics? Did you have anything that you had to do? What about 
meet on Fridays. Whatever happened with that? We don't even know how we got it, but it went away quickly. I used to travel a lot when I was director of pharmacy. And I would travel with a good Catholic friend. And wherever we were, didn't matter where we were in the world, he better get to church on Sunday to take mass. How many of you remember that? You're Catholic, you remember that. Man, if you didn't get there, oh, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell. i got to get right there. got to go right there. What is that? That's man's deal, isn't it? Now, it's not a bad thing, but it's always something plus, plus. So there is a true gospel. And Paul's going to tell us really what that is. Take a look and write the definition of the true gospel this morning. So don't be confused with false and true. What is true? True gospel is a person is saved, born again, only by God's grace. You don't deserve it. God offers it as a gift through faith, through believing. So Christianity, becoming a Christian, going to heaven, is not salvation plus it's salvation it's only believing in the word jesus on the cross said it is finished it's done i've paid the deal become a believer so we have to be careful because if we become legalistic if you become legalistic and and by the way some of you all these kind of diets and rituals and you can't eat this and don't drink coffee and do Pretty soon we're working so hard to impress God and we forget about God's grace. I had somebody recently come up to me and say, Pastor Mark, I got away from God and I've been trying so hard to get back. And he said, I heard this sermon this weekend and I'm just supposed to ask forgiveness and ask God to forgive me and he'll take me back. I said, you're right. But see, around the world, we have penance. We have all kinds of things. So let me just say to you this morning, if you're going to be saved, it's only by the grace of God. Everybody here needs it. You can't get to heaven without it. Then verse 3, he introduces something that's, well, it's a strange word. Look at verse 3. Paul says this, For it is we who are the Circumcision. Now, that's a strange word to use in church, isn't it? Circumcision. Well, let me give you a little background. Circumcision was a requirement under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. God established it. It was a physical sign of God's relationship with his people, the Jews. Every Jewish man at a young age would be circumcised. But then later, you're going to see in a moment, that in the New Testament, it's a very different circumcision. But look what Paul says in verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision. So what happened back in those days, so you'd understand this. Let's say you're that church of Philippi, and these Judaizers came in. And they're in your home group. And they say to you, you a Christian? Absolutely, I'm a Christian. Well, how did you become a Christian? Well, Pastor Paul told us how. For by grace you're saved, not of works, let any man any boast. So I've asked Jesus Christ, I'm studying the word of God, we're here reading his letters, and I'm a believer. That Judaizer, that Jew, the person who was Jewish, and maybe accepted the Lord, nobody really knows whether they did or not, but they would always say, salvation plus. So the first question he'd say to you in that home group as a man, he'd look you right in the eye and say, been circumcised yet? Now when we say that word circumcision, all us men cringe just a little bit. 
And so here's a guy, maybe he's 40. He just came to the Lord. What, what do you mean? They're going to say this. He said, well, if you're going to be a true believer, you have to be circumcised. I'm finding another church right now. You ladies are off the hook at the moment. That's what was happening. They said, you must be physically circumcised and believe all the law. Abide by all the rules and regulations. So I was talking to my wife this week. I said, honey, I got to talk about circumcision because it's in the teaching. How do I do that? Nobody even talks about circumcision anymore. I mean, moms take the baby, you know, a few hours old, baby circumcised, and yes or no, whatever you want to do. We're done. But I got to talk about it. I'm thinking, there's nothing ever going to be in the news about it. How do I introduce it? It's a strange topic. And I opened the USA Today newspaper on Friday. Look at the headline in the USA Today newspaper. I love it. Inactivists to San Francisco. Ban circumcision. Headline USA. I said, thank you, Jesus, for my article. (laughs) Now, what is this article all about? By the way, if you're from San Francisco, just close your ears for a moment, and I want to say something. There's no weirder city in the world than San Francisco. (laughs) All the nuts and fruits are out there. Am I right? Am I right? Well, here's what they're doing. This is the city that banned the toys in a Happy Meal. You can't have them anymore. I'm serious. So they have all these rules and regulations. Let me just tell you what this person is doing. They say the circumcision really really isn't healthy, but it is. And the little baby has no choice. Mom and dad made it for him. So what's the big deal? So they're coming out, and they've got all these rules and regulations. They're going to make it, they're trying to make it, a law that you cannot circumcise anyone if you live in San Francisco. Now, here's the penalty. Those who violate the ban could be jailed, not more than one year, and fined, not more than $1,000, but circumcisions, even for religious reasons, will not be allowed. Weird world we live in. Now, what does Paul say? Look at verse 3 again. What does he say? For it is we who are the circumcision. What does Paul mean? Now, Paul's Jewish. He was circumcised. But what does he mean? He means all the Jews and all the Gentiles in the church. Paul never required Gentiles to be circumcised. He says, nothing to do with you. You don't have to keep the Old Testament law. No one could keep it. So he had the true gospel. It was Jesus alone. You don't have to come to Christ and do this, this, and this, and this, and this. But the Judaizer said, oh, no, you must. That's why he called them mutilators. So, but Paul says, we're the true circumcision. So what does he mean by that? In the Old Testament, circumcision was physical of the male organ. It was physical cutting away. In the New Testament, with Jesus, we're under the new covenant. It's still a cutting away. But it's a cutting away spiritually of our old nature from our heart. Take a look at this verse. I think it's very plain. Paul says this. When you came to Christ, talking to all believers, men, women, Jew, Gentile, has nothing to do with the male organ. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. So when I became a believer, 
Spiritually, there was a cutting. Notice what it does. Christ performed, here's the key word, the spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your old sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So that spiritual circumcision had nothing to do with physical, had nothing to do with plus adding on to salvation. Everything was done. I'm saved because Christ was raised from the dead. So what does that all mean to you and I today? It simply means this. The Jewish legalists considered themselves the only ones that were really right with God. Because they believed in him, but they also were physically circumcised. Paul says, not at all. Everyone that comes to Christ has a spiritual cutting away of that old sin nature. So if you and I are a believer today, we don't go to people and say, in response to their question, well, how do I get to heaven? Well, you have to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you your sins. You have to believe it. You have to follow him. And by the way, you have to join Calvary Chapel. Or you have to join the Catholic Church. Or... Do you eat meat? No, only vegans can become believers. There's a million things out there that people will add to it. Coffee? You take caffeine? Yeah, in fact, I take that little sucker that's got five hours of whatever. No chance you're going to heaven. And so we add all these things which have nothing to do. It's simply the grace of God. So now Paul then gives us three proofs that you're a real believer. And it's actually reversed, but I'll go in his order, and then I'll recircle it later. So you're going to be quizzed in this at the end. Let's see how you do. Three. We begin in verse three. Look what he says. We are the circumcision. Then he says this. Number one, we who worship by the Spirit of God. So the first thing you want to write is this. Number one sign of a real believer. Christ followers worship God by the Spirit. We worship God by the Spirit. One day Jesus met a lady at a well. She was a Samaritan. She was very religious. Jesus said to her, well, you've had five husbands, divorced. You're living with a guy now. And she said, yeah, but we, in, the, in the end, we're, we're going to worship on this great mountain up here. And Jesus said, you know what? True worship is right in front of you. It's me. Would you like the answers to life? Would you like living water? She said, absolutely. And there was a transformation because she learned that true worship was something of the spirit. It wasn't done on a mountain. You walked into this building today. We were here on Friday night with amazing worship. But it's way bigger than this building. It's way bigger than some kind of building restricted to certain times and places. Outward form. It has to do with our heart. And it has to do with the spirit. He says we worship by the spirit of God. Now the only way you can get the spirit of God in you is to be a believer. Because the minute you ask Christ to come in you, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The third person of the Trinity. Everyone was created to worship. You will worship something or someone. No ifs, ands, or buts. You are worshiping someone or something right now this morning. Job, person, church, 
money, vision, vacation. You are worshiping something this morning. You were made to worship God by the Spirit, not by dead religion. Now, Linda and I do a lot of traveling, all, mostly all of it mission work. We go to India, Asia, Singapore, Thailand, Indonesia, those areas. Let me show you this morning a sad picture from Singapore. Here's a place of worship. It's a Buddhist place of worship. And there's these all over the city. And the little boxes. And every one of those little fruit baskets, whatever, has been brought by somebody like you. And they come, and they get their incense, and they kneel in front of this place and worship Buddha, who can't see, he can't smell, he can't eat, he can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He's not alive. Now, I never make fun of these people because they really worship. But it's dead worship because there's nothing of the Spirit of God. Many of you walked in today and there was no worship. Oh, you're here, but not once in the worship time. Did you think of God? It's just the words. So there wasn't anything of the Spirit. Any of us can do that. You ever find yourself, you sing a song, and it's not even registering anywhere. So Paul says, if you're going to be a worshiper, it's got to be spiritual. It's got to be from your heart. But it's way more than a building or a time. Pastor Mark, I've been here two weeks in a row. Get off my case. I'm glad you've been here too. I'll be here next week. How about three in a row? That doesn't solve anything. It's great that you're here. I'm glad you are. But it's got to be of the heart. Now keep your finger right where you're at. Turn back to the book of Romans. Back to the book of Romans. Just a few books back. Romans chapter 12. See where you're at? You're down there in Philippians. Romans chapter 12. Paul says a worship, if you're a believer, it flows from the Holy Spirit being in your life. It affects the spirit of man, and it's not related to isolated acts physically of worship. But it's really a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, Paul's talking to believers, in view of God's mercy and his grace to you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, let me explain something to you. No Jew understood that apart from the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, when a Jew would bring a lamb or a turtle dove or whatever, that animal would be killed, the blood would be spilled, and that was their sin sacrifice. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us, so we don't do that anymore. But no Jew could put these two words together, living and sacrifice. That animal never came back to life. That was it. So Paul says, when you came to Christ, it wasn't a one-time deal. You're to be a living sacrifice. In other words, 
you offer yourself, all of us, all parts of us, body, soul, and spirit. Let's read on. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, not to man, not to a church, not to a pastor, not to a priest, not to a rabbi. Pleasing to God. Notice the next words. Powerful. This is your spiritual act of worship. So what is Paul saying? He's just simply saying this. Real worship is you and I having the Spirit of God in us 24-7. We just offer God all of us. Whatever He wants, we just offer it to Him. It's not just about praise night. It's not about on the Sunday morning. It's our 24-7 lifestyle of giving ourselves to God. Showing that we worship Him. He is number one. I love the Message Bible. My favorite verse in all of the Message Bible. You can't study by it, but it's got great pregnant resource as you read it. So here's what I want you to do. By the way, God helping you. You can't do any of this without God helping us. Take your everyday ordinary life. How many have every ordinary life? You just do every ordinary life. That's us. We're all ordinary. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around, you're around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's it. It's not something like, the spirit was there today. No, the spirit's there when I, God says, I go over and talk to that person. Okay. And take your wife to that Christmas deal. No charge. Okay. Okay. Spend time with your family. Thanksgiving. Yeah, but my wife's bringing her relatives. God help us. He will. Be there. No ganguzo. See, that's your ordinary everyday life, isn't it? On Thursday. Honey, I just burnt the turkey. We have 24 people in the front room. No problem. Out we go to where? Someplace to eat. Cracker Barrel, eleven ninety-five. Full dinner. Away we go. See, that's everyday life, no matter what the circumstances. Because God's in control. He's the one I serve. Paul says, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to call yourself a believer then you need to worship God with your life, not just with your mouth, 24-7. It's not really outward. It's an inward. It's a proper attitude. Now go back to Philippians chapter 2. Let me give you the second one. Look at verse 3 again. He says this, A real believer who glory in Christ Jesus, or another translation says, A real believer, we rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. So here's number two. Write it down. If you're a real believer, Christ followers rely on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, we have faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Not something plus, just that. Today, Pastor Mark reminded us that everyone has a sense of needing something like God in our lives. We as Christ followers know that we can't do anything to achieve redemption on our own. Trying to keep the Mosaic Law or any man-made regulations will be inadequate. It's the shed blood of Jesus that paid the penalty for our sin and nothing else will do. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. 
We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, we'll find us at the conclusion of the teaching, Three Signs of a True Believer. Pastor Mark will be teaching from the book of Philippians to point out how the Apostle Paul, as pious as he was as a Jew, found himself lacking in true righteousness. He discovered that the only way he was going to please God was to accept the gift Jesus offered him. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series, Contagious Outrageous Joy. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.